Amen. Well, good morning and welcome to church. It is great to see you guys. I'm happy to be with you on these third Sundays and uh, to get to dive into God's word together. Well, um, I don't know if you can remember, but uh, when was the last time you gave someone like a really good gift? You know, one of those gifts where someone opened it and, you know, you saw their expression change, right? You know that feeling you get when you give those gifts, right? Where someone, someone maybe, maybe it was Christmas, maybe it was a birthday, or maybe it was just a time or, or, or you gave something to someone, an experience where they didn't expect it, but all of a sudden you just see their face light up. And I bring that up because there's a certain feeling that comes with giving a good gift, right? With knowing that, that you're giving someone something that, that, man, just makes their day better, makes their life brighter. It's one of those basic human I don't know, instincts we all have. I think about my, my daughter at Christmas time, um, right? I'm kind of a hard guy to buy gifts for. I've said that before. And my daughter, um, it was Christmas, and she, had, she was nine at the time, and she got me this. I was about ready to open her Christmas present and pick up her box, and she goes, hold on, Dad. Hold on, hold on. You need to know that this wasn't expensive. I feel really bad. Now, I didn't feel bad because all of her money that she gets in life comes from me, so it's good news for me, you know, but she goes, it wasn't an expensive gift, Dad, but look, it's something that I know you really, really need, and I was like, oh, okay, you know, like, what is it, you know, and I'm shaking it, and she goes, now, I feel bad, it's nothing fancy, it's not what you're going to think, it's nothing crazy, it's just something that you really need, Dad, so I open it up, and it's, I'm shaking it around, I open it up, and lo and behold, inside were these. I don't know if you know what these are. These aren't juggling balls. These are, uh, these are, she looks at me and she goes, Dad, do you know what those are? And I go, no. And she goes, Dad, those are stress balls. You really, really need those. You can squeeze them. And she goes, look, you can read. You can read what's on them. And I, I read what's on them. And it's like, these are for people on the edge, you know? It's like, <laughs> take a deep breath, right? And these are straight, like, Amazon from China um, items. Keep calm, keep relaxed, keep going. It's not even good English. It's like, <laughs> but she saw me and I'm reading these and I go, you know what? I do need these, sweetie. And as soon as I smiled, it was like her face lit up. I, I, she smiled more when she gave me that gift than she did when she opened all her gifts at Christmas time. And I love them. I use them all the time. I suggest them if you need them. But, um, <laughs> but you know that feeling. And, 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 I, and I watched her. It was like she just, and, and you see this in kids, right? You know this when you were a kid. You remember this when you ran up to your parents and you gave them that ugly drawing or whatever you did of the stick figure. And you're like, look, that's you, daddy. You know, and they put it on the fridge and you're so proud. You know, when you read your first book and you're, you're, you're looking for your parents' approval, you're so proud to please people. It's one of those innate, like, basic instincts we all have where we want to make people happy, and it, it carries on to adulthood, right? We love to please our, if you're married, you love to please your spouse, you love to please your, your kids and your grandkids. Uh, if you work, you love to please your boss, you know, you, you want your work recognized. There's that feeling in us where, where we get really upset if people don't recognize or see what we're doing, right? Because we want to know that what we do matters for other people. What we do makes people happy or pleases them. It's a basic need, and and I bring that up because not only does it relate to how we grew up in our childhood, not only does it relate to how we deal with each other, but it relates to how we deal with God too. I mean, if you think about it in all of human history, one of the most basic questions religion has ever sought to answer is how can we please God? What can we do? Every religious system asks, almost every religious system asks, what can we do to make God happy? 
what can we say? How can we act? What can we wear? What can we eat? What can we, what's the do's and the don'ts of, of the rules? It's like almost all of religion gets down to this core question. How do I please God? It's kind of the foundational question of how we relate to God. Not only like, you know, in modern times we've turned it into how can God please us, but for almost all of human history, you have to understand this, people have been coming and saying, how can we please God up there? And I bring that up because that's kind of the context and the, the thought going on in the audience today that we're going to look at. We've been going through, uh, we started a, a new series last month in Hebrews chapter 11, and we're going through uh, this wonderful, amazing, perhaps one of the greatest chapters in all the scriptures. Hebrews chapter 11, called My Journey or Our Journey of Faith. And it's a look that the Apostle Paul gives us at faith throughout all of the Bible. And last time we had this this kind of uh, running definition that Paul gave us, right? Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And we looked at how, um, you know, faith is having a confidence or a surety in God and not in ourselves or our situations, right? Uh, it's, It's seeing the world around us in a whole new light, by faith. But this week, uh, as we kind of continue on in this passage in verses four through seven, the author, who I believe is the Apostle Paul, is going to now kind of, he's going to address his audience. And this was an audience, you have to understand the Hebrew audience. This was an audience of people who had grown up in the system of Judaism. They had grown up in a system of trying to please God through the, the law, the Old Testament law in the first five books of Moses there. Those uh, 613 ordinances or commandments of do this, don't do that, wear this, act this way, say this, go here at this time, go to the temple, the priesthood, and all these things they were told in their religious system, look, this is how and what you need to do to have a relationship with God. But here they are uh, as a group of people, they're standing at the edge and they're looking at Jesus now and they're going, look, this is totally different than everything we're used to. We come to this Jesus guy now and they've accepted him and they're kind of standing on the edge of faith going, man, you want us to move forward and this is going to be really difficult. This is going to be really hard. We're going to be alienated. We're being persecuted. We're being kind of cut out of things in our culture and our society. It was really hard for this audience at that time to move forward with Jesus. And they're standing there going, well, I mean, couldn't we please God if we go back? Couldn't we please God if we go back to that old religious system we had? to all those rules and those laws, to all the, you know, just doing. Out of this moving forward in faith. And, and the author this morning, you're going to see as we go through this, the author is making a case for, look, there's a greater way. And actually throughout all history, there's been one way of moving forward with God. And it's better than every religious system. God is more pleased with it when, than any other behavior or attitude or action. And so he gets to it. He's going to give us three examples this morning and kind of, um, I don't know, elaborate on those examples. So Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4 through 7. We're going to take it one verse at a time as we go through this. Verse 4. By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and through it, he being dead still speaks. Right? I love this. He goes, look, I want you to go back to the first instance of faith in the Bible. We're going to go all the way back to the first family of the Bible. Now, typically you'd think, oh, wow, it's early on. The world hasn't been as messed up. Politics aren't around like our day and time. Things should be pretty good in this family. But no sooner do you go back to the first nuclear family than do you have a story of treachery and death and murder. 
It's a pretty sad story. If you know the story of Cain and Abel, you know what's coming down the line here as he's, as he's kind of pointing out in this verse. Back from, from Genesis chapter 4, it was a story of these two brothers, Cain being the older brother, Abel being the other, younger brother. And Cain was, as the older, he was a, a tiller of the ground. He was a farmer, if you would. His job was to take care of the plants and, and that whole thing. And Abel was a shepherd. He kept the sheep. He kept the animals. He was in charge. So you've got the meat guy and you've got the veggie guy. And lo and behold, you know, the, the moment comes along where we don't know if this was what God called them to do. We don't know if this was just kind of something they felt inside of them, like we need to please God. But they came to God to bring a sacrifice. And God had somehow in some way laid out, look, you need to bring the sacrifice to me this way. We don't know the exact way, but Cain brought to God his plant, his, you know, salad offering, his veggie tray, right? His, his, his you know, vegan offering to God. And along comes Abel and he brings the barbecue. You know, he's got the, the firstborn, you know, sheep he's killed. And he brings the fat and the meat to God. And, and when you know it, God rejects the, uh, you know, the veggie tray. And he goes for the barbecue. And, and, and it's not as simple as that. People for all time have been looking at it and going, well, why did God accept Abel's, you know, meat offering and not Cain's vegetable offering? Why, why, why? Some people think, oh, it's because, you know, the pattern was Adam and Eve, God had to kill an animal for them to have clothing and skins for them to wear. So that's the, the pattern he made. And, you know, other people think, well, look, if you don't shed blood, you're not atoning for sin, which is later on kind of laid out in the law. We don't know at this time. We can kind of wonder and speculate why God wanted this one and not the other. But all we know is that God laid out something. And Hebrews chapter 11 verse 4 says this, when they came to God, by faith, Abel offered a more excellent sacrifice. I love that. It wasn't like, oh, Abel had something more expensive. Abel had something better. He was more flashy. It was like, no, by faith, Abel and whatever God had laid on the table and said for them to do, Abel came to him and said, you know what, Lord, I'm going to trust you. You know what, Lord, like, I, I, know, I don't know if it was easy or difficult for him. Look, maybe, it's his, maybe at this point there was no standard for killing animals. Maybe it was his first, you know, firstborn sheep, so that was really close and personal to him. I don't know, right? Maybe he treated animals like we treat animals, where they're just part of your family, and so it was a really big thing, or maybe not. Maybe they were dinner. But whatever it was, Abel came to God and said, you know what, God, I might not get this. I might not understand this whole sacrificial system, but I want to do what you say. I want to trust you. I want to give to you in the way that you want. So I'm trusting you. Here you go. And he laid out a sacrifice. And then you contrast that with Cain, right? On the other hand, the real big difference is, is Cain had no faith when he came to God. He went through the motions. He probably initially showed up and wanted to please God. He gave something. But in the end, he ended up doing things his way, right? When God stopped him and said, look, Cain, you have a chance to change. Over in Genesis chapter 4, verse 5, it says that when God did not respect Cain and his offering, Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. Right? It's just like God was like, hey, look, this isn't the way I wanted it. For whatever reason... Cain goes, what? And he gets furious. Really, this is ultimately how you tell if you're really doing something for the right reason or not, right? If you're giving someone a gift, if you're doing something for someone, and all of a sudden they don't accept it or take it the way you think they would, right? Kids are great at this. You do so much for them, and they never appreciate it. They never value it. But, like, you know this feeling, right, where you've been rejected, 
or something you put your heart and your, your, your energy and your time into wasn't right. And God goes, look, Cain, that's not right. And Cain gets angry. He, get ups, he gets upset, right? And I bring this kind of out in this, in this passage because I see this so often with, with sometimes how we deal with God. Right? Like I said earlier, it's kind of the first time in the world where we've ever turned church into this thing where it's supposed to please us more than it pleases God. For all of human history, we've been wondering, how do we please you, the almighty God above us? And it's such a radical concept that we somehow come in here sometimes, and I see this, because, this often because I'm a pastor, and people come in here and they go, well, I want to give, but you're not giving the way, and you're not using my money the way I want. Or I want to serve, but this, that, and the other isn't the way I want it to be. Or I want this, or, or I would go to church, but, but oh man, these guys are too old, or this guy's too young, or this guy's too this. I would go to this church, except the worship is too, too loud, or too bright, or too this, or too that. It's almost like we sometimes can have this habit, and you see it with God, of coming to God and going, look, I want to do things your way, but I also want you to do things my way. I want you to do things that please me, ultimately. And if you're not, I'm taking my ball, and I'm going home. That was the mentality here with Cain. He goes, yeah, I'll give, but I want to give in my way. I'll offer to you, Lord, but, but I don't want to, maybe, maybe God wanted him to offer an animal sacrifice. That would have meant that he would have had to go, go to his brother, you know, kind of humble himself, go to his younger brother. You never want to go to your younger brother and ask for something, right? And it's like, maybe he had to go there and ask his younger brother for an animal, or maybe he had to do something, and he's going, no, this is the way I do things. This is the way I work hard in my life, and I'm going to offer you what I want to offer. And God goes, Cain, you're missing it. You're walking into this without one thing that's totally important. A trust in me. A faith that I know what I'm doing. A faith that I'm in control with this. And we see as as God gave him that in in verse 7 of Genesis chapter 4, God says to him, he goes, look, Cain, it's not too late. You'll be accepted if you do what is right. If not, sin lies at the door. And its desire is for you. And you should rule over it. He's going, look, man, there's a better way, Cain. There's a better way than than you rebelling and having it your own way. Trust me, please. If you don't trust me, you're going to be walking in sin. You're going to be doing things your own way. And believe me, you'll always regret the things you do on your own terms with God. When you lean on your own understanding, as Proverbs 3, which we read beforehand, says, it's like God's saying, look, there's a better way than that. But Cain crosses his arm and he walks off and and you guys probably know the rest of the story he walks and calls his brother out to a field and and there murders Abel in jealousy and anger and bitterness right no sooner did these people want to do something for God than you have one person tearing apart the other one person wanting it their way and not the other's way and and look essentially after this point Cain is cursed by God and he's got to wander the earth as a vagabond and a nomad and and he's upset and kind of goes out upset from that from the Lord but but along comes Abel back and, and God brings him back up here and God goes look Abel Hebrews chapter 11 verse 4 the first example I want to give you of faith Abel is someone who pleased me It's not a promise by the way faith that everything's going to work out perfectly Abel pleased God. Abel did things right. And Abel died. Faith isn't this manipulation of having the perfect situation and the perfect outcome of things. Faith is this trust in God and knowing, look, this is ultimately what gives my life purpose and meaning and value. Abel is who God bragged about 
long after they were dead, Cain and Abel. Abel is who God looks at and goes, your blood cries out from the grave of a greater thing, something better, a better way by faith. If we serve God, if we want to truly trust God, if we want to give to God, if we want to do anything that God calls us to do, it starts with this, believing and trusting not in ourselves, not in our own desires and our own ways, but in God's way of doing things and who he is. And he continues on with that and he gives us another example in verse five. Um, I love this example. By faith, Hebrews chapter 11, verse five says, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him. For before that he was taken, or before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. Right? I love that. Enoch, kind of like a one-hit wonder in the Bible. I don't, like, he's like the guy in the movie who has one line. Right? Barely anything. Nothing great, nothing grand about him. Right? As a matter of fact, over in Genesis chapter 5, here's what it says about Enoch. It's so easy. It's so simple. We'll read an entire Bible story in like 20, 10 seconds. Enoch walked with God 300 years, and he had sons and daughters. So all the days of Enoch were 365 years. And Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. The end. <laughs> he's brought up over in Jude, just like really quick uh, comment that Jude makes that it was a wicked, wicked time in the world. There were some really wicked guys and Enoch stood up for righteousness, but that's it. It doesn't elaborate anything else. All we know is that, look, this, this guy was a dad and that for 65 years of his life, he, 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 you know, he was 365 years old when he was taken up. For the first 65 years of his life, he didn't even walk with God. It's never too late to start, right? And then the latter 300 years, he walks with God. And then God goes, look, I'm going to take you. And I don't know. Don't ask me to explain how this happens. You can call Pastor Dave and, and get some crazy answer from him on it. But like, not crazy, but I mean, just some, some he knows every other thing. But like, look, here's the end of the thing. God took him away. And that was it. He didn't see death because God looked at him and said, your life so pleases me. Not because you led a revolution. Not because you were like some great conqueror of enemies. Not because you overthrew corruption. Not because you did these wild miracles. He didn't even change the world. He was just a simple man, a dad, who every day for 300 years said, you know what? I'm going to walk with God. And Hebrews chapter 11 verse 5 says he did it by faith. He woke up. It was a dark time for him. It was, a, it was a bad culture. He could, have, he could have bailed. He could have moved away. He could have gone somewhere else. He could have found his own little hermit cabin in the woods or in Idaho or wherever, you know, and he could have, he could have just bailed and he could have gotten out of that culture. But here he goes, look, I'm just going to walk with God every single day, every single moment. That's my focus. That's the goal of my life. Well, what does that look like? I can't tell you anything other than when he woke up, he said, I'm trusting you, God. I can't tell you anything other than he said, I'm not giving into the culture. I'm not giving into fear. I'm not worried. I'm going to stand up and I'm just going to walk with you, God, as a dad. As someone with kids and daughters, I'm going to set that example. I love that. Because we so like, 
We so love the sensational, right? We love the big things. Think of social media. It's like, it's all about glamorizing your life and recognizing things like, oh, so-and-so's worked 25 years at this business. Give them a pat on the back. Or, oh, this person's having a birthday. Let's everybody tell them hi and hello. And, you know, like we want recognition for everything. We want to see everything as, as prettier and grander and greater than it really was. It even sneaks into Christianity, the whole bigger is better mentality, right? That if we're going to do something big and great for God, now, I'm not against that because you're going to see as we go through this series later on that God does some big and great things, but, oh, we've got to have movies out there. We've got to have Super Bowl ads. We've got to be over the top with our faith, and and we've got to be so large and and, and almost have everything so dialed in and have this perfect message for everyone. But in reality, I'm, I'm so comforted as I come to Enoch here, because I I see how simple it is. God is pleased, and it says he's totally pleased by this, by those people who just walk by faith. I just walk with him. Trust him. Wake up, and sometimes you're just hanging on, and you say, you know what, I don't know. I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know where this is going. This is a hard world that we have to live in. These values sometimes don't meet with the values of the world. And, and, And Enoch had those same things going through his mind, and he said, you know what, today I'm trusting you. Today I'm taking a step forward with you, God. And those are the people that God says, those are the people that please me. That's what makes me smile. When you wake up and you just say, you know what? Today I'm trusting you, God. There's a lot coming. There's a lot that I can't make sense of. But I know one thing. You're there for me. So I'm going to walk. I'm going to step. I'm going to go. And he kind of takes that idea that we're kind of starting to form here, and he, he kind of elaborates on it in verse 6. I love this, and, and he, it's not an example, but it's kind of an elaboration or a clarification of what faith ultimately looks like in this sense when we're pleasing God. Look at verse 6. He says, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. He goes, two things you need to know about this type of faith, about pleasing God. You need to know that he is. It's kind of a basic premise, right? Obviously, if I'm going to have faith, I'm going to believe that God exists. But it's, it's kind of a little more than that in the idea. It's like, it's, look, this, this faith of ours isn't this file away in the back of our brain type of thing. This faith of ours isn't just this system that we go, oh, yeah, God's real, et cetera, et cetera. I grew up as a Christian. I'm an American. So, okay, it's faith, you know? No, it's this, it's this kind of like a, an active present belief. God is. Everything he claims to be, everything he reveals about himself, that's who he is. And in my mind, I'm not just taking that and going, oh, file it away. I read the books. I memorize some scriptures. I know the system. No, he's going, no, this is a present belief that you stand on and you go, I believe that God is as I move forward. As I take that step forward, that the God is, the God that I believe of is the God that is in, in, in Abel's life and in Enoch's life, and we'll see in so many other people's lives. That's my God. He is who he is, as, G, as God said, I am that I am to Moses. And he goes, and also the second thing is that when you come to him, he says, you have to know that he loves and rewards those who diligently seek him. That's cool. That's a great thing that you should know about God when you come to him. This faith and this step you take forward is something that he says, I promise I'm going to reward you. If you're seeking me, if you're stepping forward with me, I'm there for you. I'm going to reward you. I'm going to meet you there. Uh, 
to the people who are willing to step forward, and, and in these cases, these people and, and these wonderful stories are like, you know what, we'll step forward and we'll do what you say, God. We'll step forward and we'll trust you, God. He goes, for all these people, I was there to meet them. It may not have turned out how they wanted or expected. It may have turned out better in Enoch's case. He didn't see death. But I was there to meet all these people. And I'm there for you too. When you'll step forward and say, you know what, God, I'm going to seek you. You know what, God, I'm going to read, but I'm going to trust that you're there. You know what, God, I'm going to go to church, but I'm going to trust that you're going to speak to me. You know what, God, I'm going to worship you, but I'm going to trust that you're going to open my heart and you're there. God goes, I will be there. You can't formulate me and put me in a box, but know this, I reward those who diligently seek me. It's one of the great promises. It's not about just filing away scriptures for our memory. It's not about just doing the right actions and rotely going through a religion or, or, or just acting this way because this is how I was raised. It's something way more than that. It's saying, you know what, God? I'm going to step forward today and I'm going to trust you in what I'm doing because I know you meet me in that. And I know you'll be there. And there might be some days where, where it feels alone, it feels empty, but God goes, ah, don't worry. I'm doing something. I meet you all the time. And I will guide you and I will direct you and I will meet you. He goes, all these people met God. And he goes on to a final example. And I love this, verse 7. So we kind of wrap up the final example here. He says, by faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, he prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness, which is according to faith. Noah. If you remember Noah and that story, if you're, if you're not too familiar with it, it's... It's Noah, he was called by God to build an ark, a giant ark, and for 40 days and 40 nights it rained, and God essentially wiped all humanity off the face of the earth and started over with Noah and his family, because people at that time were so wicked and corrupt. You know, Noah, if you remember that, he goes, Noah, Noah related to me, and Noah saved his family because of faith, because he was willing to trust me, and he actually, it says, feared me, because he he didn't really understand what I was saying. I mean, can you imagine being Noah and being asked by God, hey, look, right, I'm 40 years old and I'm pretty stuck in my ways, but Noah is 600 years old at this time, right? <laughs> and you imagine how stuck in your, your ways you're going to be at 600, right? And he shows up to Noah and he goes, hey, check it out. I know this has never happened before. I know that, uh, you know, flooding and wiping out of all humanity on the face of the earth isn't, isn't something that you've seen in your 600 years on earth, but it's coming, and there's a storm coming, Noah. And I want you to build a boat. Okay, a boat? No, no, an ark. 300 cubits long, 50 cubits wide. That's the, that's the modern equivalent to almost three football fields. Right? If you're Noah, if you're me, I, I mean, I, I build a patio cover and I can't move for like six months. But like, imagine being Noah, having being in charge of that project. And right, we're not told that he picked Noah because he's a great carpenter. He's a phenomenal engineer. He's a great theologian, right? No, it says in, in, in Genesis chapter 6, it says, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. It's like God was like, I'm going to be graceful to someone, and that Noah right there, that Noah. It's not because Noah was great or grand or good at anything. Now, obviously, you know, after 600 years, you're going to be pretty handy. But, I mean, Noah builds this boat, and we're told it was a dark, dark world, right? The, at the time, the... the the, the people of the earth were so wicked continually before the face of the Lord that in Genesis chapter 6 it says they were so evil continually that the Lord said, I've got to wipe them all out. But I'm going to start over with Noah and his family. And each day as Noah's building this ark, right, hammering this thing in, 
picking up these boards and moving them. I can imagine he's probably like looking up at the sky going, I don't know what's coming. I don't see the rain. But man, I'm going to trust you, God, as he builds and he hammers. And it must be years and decades that go by as he's building this thing for something that he didn't quite understand, for something that God called him to that didn't quite make sense. For something that everyone else around him, imagine being this guy, hey, I'm building this giant boat. I mean, we have, a, we have a word for someone like that in our culture and society, right? For someone who's like, thinks that everyone else is crazy and they've got the one word from God and they're going to build this giant ark and it's the, he's the original doomsday prepper, right? We've got a word for someone like that and it's lunatic. <laughs> it's like crazy town, right? But yet Noah is willing to do something crazy, something kind of out there because he, he, he trusted God. And what's the worst that could happen? He just has a giant boat in his backyard. But I mean, it's like every day he worked, every day he hammered, and every day he nailed, and, and the people must have been laughing at him. His culture was so wicked and corrupt, they must have been looking at him and going, you're totally backwards, man. Everything's great. Everything's awesome. And no one knew, look, God's doing something different. God's having me build this. And each day with those nails, each day as he hammered, He had to trust God. He had to say, I know I'm different. I know I'm not fitting in with this culture. I know I'm doing something contrary or building into something that's bigger or greater or grander than this culture. And it's God's thing, not this world's thing. But I'm willing to trust you, God. It's so so much of a lesson to all of us, right? To, To take what God calls us to, which is often going to be different and opposite of the culture we live in. To take the things that don't always, I I think sometimes God likes to bring these things into our lives that don't make sense, that don't all add up, and say, you know what, God, with each nail I hit today, with each board I lift, with each thing I'm doing in obedience to you, look, I'm trusting you, God. I know sometimes it doesn't all make sense. I know sometimes I don't have the answers to all these problems. I know sometimes I don't see how you're going to make all these pieces fit. I don't understand what you're doing. I do understand this one thing. I can pick up the nail and I can hammer today and trust you. Right? Faith is moving forward in trust and kind of making sense of it afterwards, isn't it? It's like saying, you know what, God, I don't, I don't get this. But I'm going to trust. And I'm going to walk. And as we look at all these examples, you see all these people in some sense, in some way, they move forward with God. Abel, he offered, he gave in faith. Enoch, he walked in faith. Noah, he moved, we're told, in faith. All these people moved forward in their relationship with God, not because they were so grand or great, not because they were perfect people who had it all together, not because they knew the answers or even had a great control of their life, but they were willing to trust God. They were willing to hold on to God when things didn't make sense. They were willing to walk with him when everything around them was contrary to that. And all the pressures were forcing in on them, pushing in on them, and and they could have turned back. And that's ultimately the point that Paul, who I believe the author of of Hebrews is, in Hebrews 11 is making to this Jewish Hebrew audience. He says to him, and I repeated it last month, but he says to him at the end of chapter 10, in verse, uh, what was it? Sorry, let me flip forward here. Verse 39, he says, we are not of those who fall back into perdition or destruction. But we are of those who move forward in faith to the saving of our souls. He goes, look, look, 
You want to know the way forward with God? You want to know what makes God smile? It's not that you have your life together and are perfect. No, he looks at you and he smiles. When you're you're doing this right now, you've got your Bibles open and you're going, God, speak to me. I'm trusting you. Some weird guy up on the pulpit this week. It's not Pastor Dave, but I know you're going to speak, Lord. God goes, cool, I got that. When you come into church and you're not in here to, to have every song played in the song you like or the hymn you want to hear or the music dimmed and the lights and the perfect experience catered to you, but you're, you're willing to step into anything you're doing in life where you're giving, where you're serving, where you're worshiping, and you're willing to say, you know what, God? I'm going to do that with faith. I'm going to open my Bible this morning with faith and trust that you're going to speak to me, that you're going to move me forward. I'm going to get on my knees and pray and talk to you Because I have faith and I have trust that you're going to, you move mountains, Lord. You're going to be there for me. And he would say to us, he'd say, look, keep moving forward in faith. Don't go back and just go through the motions. Don't think that there's any other way that God would look at you and be pleased. It's purely your faith in his son, Jesus Christ, that has given you this standing before God where he looks at you and he smiles. Where he looks at you and he says, that's my child. No matter how bad they are, no matter how messed up you were when you walked into this room, God is not looking at you whether you had your life together or you had your life falling apart and going, well, that's why I'm happy with them because they're super religious or they're, they're falling apart. He looks at you and he goes, which one's walking in here with faith? Which one with today when they wake up is saying, you know what, Lord, I'm gonna walk by faith. I'm gonna trust you. Because when you do that, he says, look, you're gonna find God. Your life, you're living a life of purpose and value. And when you walk by faith, you make him smile. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, it's a radical concept to think that we could please a God like you. So perfect and holy and infinite. Wise and grand beyond our our greatest imagination, Lord. To know that you would be pleased by your creation, us, if we simply trust you. But our faith in you is is such a great concept. So help us this week to live that way, to be people of faith who walk and, and wake up every day saying, Lord, how can we move forward? How can I trust you more today? How can I not freak out based on what's going on in my life, but how can I know that you're there trusting you? Help us to be people of radical faith like Enoch who walked with you, like Noah, like Abel. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.